having sung to Jesus, let's hear from him now. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. I was thinking my way up here about something I heard a long time ago. Someone said to a, a pastor, I've never heard God speak audibly, and they were, they were very distressed and worried that they had never heard God speak audibly into their lives. And the pastor responded, then read your Bible out loud. So when we read our Bibles, we are hearing directly from the Word of the Lord. Psalm 71, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the whole psalm, and if you need to have a seat, there's, there's no shame in that whatsoever. Psalm 71, beginning in verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to hear me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given me the, the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O oh Lord, are my hope, my trust, O oh Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many. But you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O oh God, be not far from me. O oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see my troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with a harp for your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, you are the entirety of our blessed assurance. If I look to my own strength, I wilt. If I look to my own righteousness, I'm overwhelmed. When I look at the enormity of all the problems that I have in my life, I'm anxious, but when I look to you, 
And Lord, I remember that it is based upon your righteousness and upon your strength and upon your ability to bear the weight of my sin and my troubles and my problems in this world. I take refuge. I'm assured. My hope is renewed. And so, Father, I pray this morning for every person of every generation, of every age, that you would say something specifically to them that would call them to take refuge in you to find assurance in you. And Lord, I want to pray particularly this morning for those who are of the last generation, for those who are in the fourth quarter of their lives, that, Father, today you would encourage them, that you would challenge them, that you would minister to them, that you would reestablish them in the ministry that you have set before them. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So there was a man by the name of Dallas Willard, and he said this, that the responsibility of Christians generally is to consider how it is that Jesus would live our lives if he were us, and then to live that way. That is, as we consider the life of Jesus, that perhaps it's most helpful to not think about all the various tasks that Jesus accomplished, though there's certainly some parallels from the tasks that Jesus accomplished and some of the tasks that we are to accomplish. But more than what Jesus did, we should consider how Jesus did it. The way in which Jesus lived. And the way in which Jesus lived ought to be the way in which we aim to live the lives that he has given to us. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, the question is, is what kind of stay-at-home mom would Jesus have been and be in his image in that way? If you're a doctor or a lawyer, what kind of doctor or lawyer would Jesus be? And it is to live your life in the way as a doctor, as a lawyer, that Jesus would live it. And I, I think we can look at this not just from a vocational standpoint, but from a generational standpoint. You know, I, I've always thought that one of the, uh, the things that I miss most out of Scripture is that we didn't get to see Jesus in detail through all of the different life cycles that people go through, you know? Like, we get a little bit of him as a baby, a little bitty nugget of him as a young child, and then everything is basically on uh, him in his early 30s as a young man. And so we didn't get to see Jesus kind of progress, but I would have liked, I think it would have been helpful to us, to, uh, and I'm, I'm obviously not rebuking the Lord, I'm just saying, like, none of y'all are looking for a longer book, I realize that, but wouldn't it have been helpful? Wouldn't it have been helpful to have watched Jesus wrestle through puberty as a 13-year-old boy. That would have been helpful. Or to see what it would have looked like as Jesus in his early 20s as he's trying to establish himself as a carpenter and in a trade and with a vocation and have independence as a man. Or maybe to watch Jesus age. That's what I've been thinking about this week. Jesus' mission did not allow it. Jesus was, was called to go to the cross at about 33 years old, and so we weren't able to see it. But wouldn't it have been helpful to have watched Jesus age and to see the diminishing of his strength and the diminishing of his body and the graying of his hair and the failing of his eyesight, that we could see the way in which Jesus would have become an elderly man. But I, I think 
the responsibility that is incumbent upon each of us is to consider the way that Jesus has established for us and to think through the examples through Scripture that are held up for us to see so that we can see how the gospel begins to transform not just as his children or as teenagers or as, as young adults, but as those who maybe are coming into the fourth quarter of their lives and are, are thinking in the legacy season of their lives. And that's what we have in Psalm 71. Psalm 71 is not attributed directly to any author, but most uh, scholars believe that it is a Davidic psalm because basically all of Psalm 71, except for just a few little key pieces, are copy and pasted from various other Davidic psalms. That he would take piece here to piece there, and it would kind of all put together. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point about that here in, in, in just a minute. But what I think we see in David is what we should expect as we age and the perspective with which we should live. And I understand, too, that there are, there are really two challenges as we come in and we consider the, the reality of living in an aging and diminishing world. That on one hand, there are some of you who are here and you're like, this is D-Now Weekend, man. Like, I'm too young for all of that. I ain't worried about getting old. I've got life figured out. This is not relevant to me. Or I'm just trying to herd all of my kids into the car. I don't have time to worry about, worry about aging. And there's the other side, that maybe it's too late for me. Maybe, maybe I've lived my life in such a way and established my patterns and habits in such a way that whatever you have to say at this point in my life, it's just, it's just too far gone. But what I think we have in David is we have in David the, the target at which the young should aim and at the same time the responsibility the aged should bear. That what we see in David is David looking back over the whole of his life and, in fact, looking at his situation right now at the same time. That is, that David is looking at the providence of God through the perspective of bifocals, right? That he's seeing something that's up close, and he's seeing something that's far off. And he's beginning to be able to see through the bifocal vision how the providence of God is fitting together and his role in it. And so I, I want to look at that perspective this morning. The first thing that I want you to see, and bear with us, we're having a few glitches here with the iPad, is that age teaches us who to trust. Age teaches us who to trust. If I'm honest with you, I thought that I would be a lot farther along than I am by now. You know? I, I, I thought that by the time I was 35, 36, that I wouldn't care as much about what people, uh, their opinions of me were. I thought that by now I wouldn't struggle as much to pray and to have a, a um, thriving devotional life as I do. But the truth is, is that now at 35, I pray many of the very same prayers that I prayed 21 years ago when I became a new convert at 14 years old. That so many of my prayers are still the same. God, give me strength. God, deliver me. God, help me. God, give me energy. God, forgive me. And that's what we see in David. David is coming and he's praying something that he pray, he's prayed throughout the course of his life. I mentioned to you earlier that really in Psalm 71 what we have is a compilation of various copy and paste of David from the Psalms into this one Psalm. And so essentially he's saying, yeah, what I prayed when I was 20, what I prayed when I was 30, what I prayed when I was 40, that's going to help me when I'm at 70 and I'm 80. And he goes back, in fact, and even says it right here. Um, in uh, verse 3, he says, 
that I may pray continually. That I may pray continually. That, I, that I'm, I'm coming back, and these are my continual, my ongoing prayers. In fact, if you were to look at Psalm 31, 1 through 3, and you look here at Psalm 71, 1 through 3, I read Psalm 31 at the very beginning of the service, if you'll remember, then what you find is that they're almost identical passages. And so what we have David doing is he is saying, the Lord is my refuge. I've learned that over the course of my life. And I have a well-worn, continual path that I have beaten down over the years as I have went to take refuge in the Lord himself. That the Lord is my refuge. He is the place of my safety. He is the place of my security. He is the place of my comfort. He is where I can go to rest from all of the weariness of this life. He is the place where I can go to hide when it feels as though the world is crumbling around me. And so David is coming and he's saying that this well-worn path, this lifelong refuge that he has established has been with him since birth. But there's one, there's one word difference. There's one, actually not one word difference, there's one letter difference. If you look at verse 3, I don't know if this is going to work, I may have to give up on this. There's one letter difference there in the word refuge. If you read Psalm 31, verse 3, it'll say rock of refuge. And I think that the Bible translators here are actually carrying that forward. But the word there in uh, Psalm 71 actually is the rock of habitation. That the Lord is, be to me, a rock of habitation. That another way for him to say that is, be home for me. Be my home. Be my place of familiarity. Be my place of comfort. Be my place of respite. Be the place that I can go and I don't have to put on airs. I can just be myself. Be that place where I can be comfortable. Be that place where, where I'm able to, to go and to do and to, uh, uh, to, to just take, kick off my shoes and lay back in the lazy boy and just enjoy my life a little bit. Like, be home for me. You know, I, if you're like me, I bet you can think over the course of your life and all the times in which you have been most afraid, probably the place you wanted to get back to most was just home. It was just home. I was thinking this week, you know, like five years ago when I was in the back of a commie van in South Africa and I thought that I may very well be about to die and I was hurting and I was afraid. I just remember thinking, God, just, just let me go home. Just let me go home. Just let me be with my girls again. Just let me hug my wife again, just, just, if I can just go home. I think about times in ministry when seasons were really hard in the early days, and it was difficult waters, and I was anxious and stressed and worried and afraid that I was going to blow the whole thing up all the time. And I would get to the end of the day, and I would think, if I can just get home, if I can just get home, that's the that's. That's the, ex, the reflex of faith. That our home, our home, it's not just with God. Our home is in God. That God himself is the place of familiarity. That God himself is the one who brings comfort. That God himself says, come underneath my wings, underneath the shadow of my wings, and take refuge in that shadow to know that my presence is with me and that I abide with you and you and me, and we are not going anywhere, that you are secure and fastened. I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning what you're tempted to run to. Maybe in as, as your body diminishes and your health declines, you're, you're tempted to run toward physical fitness and more supplements. And, more, and those things aren't necessarily bad, but you can't run to them and find refuge. 
all they do is break you down further. All they do is leave you wanting more. All they do is leave you yet still aware of your own diminishing. Maybe you're tempted to run to a relationship, or maybe you're tempted to run to the bottom of a bottle. But this morning, the invitation of Psalm 71, the invitation from this aged version of David is don't run to a bottle or to a relationship. Don't even run to physical fitness. Run home. Run home. Home is the place of comfort. What we see is that it's not just a place of lifelong refuge that you hide under. But it's also, it's also a place in which you are a friend that you're able to lean up against. You'll see there in verse 6, upon you I have leaned from before my birth. Upon you I have leaned from, upon, from before my birth. And so this idea of, of David here is that he's able to lean against the Lord. So he's, in some sense, God is this transcendent refuge, fortress that we are able to go within and be able to hide under and find shade and shelter. But in another sense, he is the close friend that's right here beside me that I'm able to lean up against and find comfort and hope and joy. You'll notice there that there's these possessives, right? He says, rescue, oh my God. From the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? David is talking about God the same way that we talk about the people that are closest to us. This is my wife. This is my best friend. This is my dad. This is my God. This is my God. This is my friend. This is the one to whom I have always been able to go. See, age is meant to teach us who we can trust. Age has meant to teach us who we can trust. Over the course of your life, you will be betrayed. And over the course of your life, people will let you down. And over the course of your life, people will gossip about you. And over the course of your life, people will will totally make up lies right to your face. And you won't even know the difference until the pain and the destruction come later on. But the Lord... The Lord establishes himself as a home to whom you can run, a friend against whom you can lean. And so David says that you establish this in verse 5, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. And so to those of you who are in the stage of life in which you're, you're younger and your youth, the responsibility that you bear is to establish the Lord as the home to whom you run, the friend upon whom you will lean. And for those of you who are in the later stages of your life, is to remember that you never get to a place in your life that you can't go home. You never get to a place in your life where you can't go home. You never get so deep into Sodom, so deep into Egypt that you can't go home. You never get so deep in in sin that you can't go home. You never get so deep into depression and anxiety that you can't go home. You're never too old to go home. And Dell, this morning, as we prepare to ordain you as one of the pastors of our church, it's our responsibility as the elders of Iron City to remind them repeatedly to go home. It's our responsibility to remind them who they can trust and to teach them who they can trust. They will never not need to hear that their strength is not found within themselves, but in the Lord himself. So age teaches us who to trust. Oh, really, I'm sorry about this. Age presents unique challenges. Age presents 
unique challenges. That there are some challenges that you're going to experience as you age and that are different than the challenges that you face as a young man or as a young, as a young woman, and you need to be aware of them. You need to be prepared for them. First of all, I want you to see that age is going to tempt you to place blame on God. Age is going to tempt you to place blame on God. Look at verse 7. It says, I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. Now, portent, I had to look that word up. That, that's not a word that, uh, that we use very often. But the, what the word portent means is it means like a bad omen or a curse. So in other words, what David is saying is that people look at my life and they, they see the pain that I've went through. They see that my, my own son tried to depose me. They see the, that Saul tried to kill me. They see just over the course of my life that, that I've been so troubled and I've faced so many difficulties. And here I am now in diminished strength and with gray hair and on the verge of death. And they look at me and they think that that is a man that has been cursed by God. That you have forsaken me. It brings into our minds what Job's wife says to Job. Job had lost everything. He had lost his family. He had lost his wealth. He had lost his health. And do you remember what his wife's advice to him was? Curse God and die, Job. Place the blame on the Lord and just be done with this already. You have done nothing wrong. You are a righteous man. Curse the Lord. You know, age is a paradox. Age, the Bible is clear, is a gift from the, from the Lord. To have many years is great kindness from God. To be able to have failing eyesight and diminishing hearing and gray hair or no hair at all is actually great kindness from God. But it hurts. That there is a sense in which age is both the enjoyment of God's goodness and the reminder of sin's curse at the same time. And I promise you that what I've been able to observe in the lives of many saints that, that I've been able to watch and hear their testimonies is that if you live long enough, you're going to hurt bad. And the longer that you live, the more pain you will experience over the course of your life. Some of you have lived long enough to experience the pain of the abandonment of a child. Some of you have lived long enough to watch your spouse of many decades wilt from cancer right in front of you. Some of you have lived long enough to, to experience depressions and wars that are on a scope that many of us cannot even begin to comprehend. And this morning, if you're young, you are a fool if you think you're going to avoid it too. No, age hurts. Age brings about many opportunities for you to look up at God and wag, wag, wag your fists and say, God, how dare you? God, how could you? God, who do you think you are? And to heap the, the pain of your life onto the feet of the Lord and to say, God, you must not be good and you must have forsaken me. You must have brought a curse down upon me. But David shows that what we all know is that pain either makes your heart hardened or softened can have one of those two effects. Some of the people that I have known that have walked with God the longest are the first ones I know to come to tears when it's time to pray. Some of those that, that I've watched and go through the hardest of the hard and the most difficult of the difficult and walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they are the ones that when I look up and their hands are raised, hearten me and strengthen me and compel me to sing with everything that I've got. But we also know those who with age have grown hardened and mean, and irritable, and grumpy. 
And the question is, the question is, is what's going to become of you? What's going to become of you? Will you blame God and become hardened? Or will you trust the Lord and allow your heart to be drawn near to him as a place of refuge, as a place of hope, as home? See what David does? Verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise, with your glory all the day. The mouth with which they think I should curse you, the mouth with which they think I should blame you, I instead will sing and praise your name. But it's not just, it doesn't just tempt us to blame God, it threatens us with irrelevance. Look at verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Verse 10. Now I want you to think about David. David has given all of his most vital years to the Lord, to the service of the Lord. He has given all of his vigor to the service of the Lord. He has given God everything that he has. He has went to battle and fought and done all the stuff and conquered and, and went and expanded the kingdom of God. But now he's at a place in his life in which all those battle-scarred years have begun to take their toll on him. He has the natural diminishing of his body, and then he has the, the difficulties that come with being a, a soldier, of a, 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 the, the mental scars and the emotional scars and the physical scars. He's at a place, and he says, God, don't forsake me when I'm old. Don't forsake me. That in other words, David is tempted to believe that he no longer is of value to God because he's not strong. David is tempted to believe that he has nothing left to offer to the Lord because he doesn't have his physical strength anymore. And if you live long enough, that lying voice is going to whisper into your ear. That lying voice is going to whisper into your ear that you aren't anything but a drain on your family. You used to cook Thanksgiving dinner, but now you only eat the Thanksgiving dinner. You used to teach in the church, but now you can only sit in the church. And the voice can come in and say, what good are you? And depression and anxiety and worthlessness begin to set in. But you see what David comes to the realization of? And what I want you to realize is that he has the same thing to offer at the end of his life that he had to offer at the beginning of his life. The, what age does is age begins to erase the illusions of strength that we always had. David comes and he says, what I've realized is that what I have to offer you is just my life. My life. I offered you my life when I was in my 20s and when I was in my 30s and when I was in my 40s. And now at the end of my life, all I know to do is just to continue to offer to you my life. Listen, don't buy the lie that you have no meaning. Don't buy the lie that you have no value. The Lord is drawing near to you. And you have everything right now to offer to the Lord that you have always had to offer to the Lord. And let me tell you, I need what you have to offer. I personally, Cody Hill, the pastor of Iron City, I need the prayers of my senior saints. I need them. I need the encouragement of my senior saints. I need the times that you have stopped by my office just to keep me going. I needed that. So don't you think for one second, don't you think for one second you don't have value to contribute to the body of Christ. Don't you think for one second that you're living an irrelevant life. You're living a life of significance and meaning in the economy of God. Lastly, you'll see that age can make you feel particularly vulnerable. Make you feel particularly vulnerable. Look at verse 10. 
For my enemies can speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together. And they say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. And so David's at this place, and it's like, you, you don't know if he can overhear them talking, his enemies, or if, if word is coming by, by a messenger of what his enemies have to say, or if this is something that's in his, own, on, in his own imagination that his enemies are saying. But David says, I can hear what my enemies are saying, and what they are saying is that now I am weakened, and they can conquer me. Now I'm weakened, and now they can over... In other words, David is feeling very vulnerable. That no longer does David think he's strong. No, no longer does David think that he is able to fend for himself. He knows that his entire well-being is upon the Lord. And that's the case. That's what happens with age. As our strength diminishes, so does the illusion of our own self-righteousness and the illusion of our own self-rescue. That we come and there are social vulnerabilities, social enemies, those that, that see those that are of a particular age and try to take advantage of them and scam them. There, there, are, there, are, physical, there are physical enemies. Death is setting in. Disease seems to be lurking around every corner. The possibility of, of disability seems to always be up in the air. And there's particular spiritual enemies. The kind of depression that comes with seeing the pain that you've seen with experiencing the diminishing that you've experienced. And so what David says, what David says, is that my vulnerability is an opportunity of faith in the Lord, for faith in the Lord. That our vulnerability provides an opportunity for God to declare to us that he has not forsaken us, to display one more time in high definition to all of us at all the different stages that we live, that he is always faithful and we can trust in him. And Dell, that's going to be our responsibility. Our responsibility as elders is to recognize the unique challenges that come with all the different age generations across the congregation and to sit with them in those struggles, to shepherd them through their depression, to shepherd them through their heartache, to pray with them, to remind them as the body of Christ that they always have a place where they matter and they have a place of significance and a role to play. Next, I want you to see that age bears a greater responsibility. The age bears a greater responsibility. Verse 17, we see this in 17 and 18, there's this progression of responsibility that's supposed to happen as a person grows in the Lord. So you'll see, he starts in verse 7, he says, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me. So, so, so do you hear what David is saying? David is here and he's in a low moment. David is here and he's perhaps even in a depressed moment. And David says that here in my old age, as the gray hair sets in, as I look back through my bifocals and my diminished vision over the course of my life, what I remember is something that I learned when I was a child. That the Lord established me in who he was when I was a child so that I might be prepared for what it was going to look like today. That it is the responsibility of those of you who are youth. Those of you who are teens. Those of you who are in your early 20s. It is your responsibility to well found yourself in the Lord and to cultivate in your heart a commitment to the Lord and to get to know him. Not just about him, but him personally. See, it's easy when your health is good and when all of your friends are, are wrapped up with all the different things in the world to go and to think, you know, that's going to matter one day. One day it's going to matter what, 
what I believe about Jesus. I get that. It's going to matter certainly when I die what I believe about Jesus. Maybe even when I'm a dad or when I'm a mom or, 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 or maybe when I'm at middle age. It's going to matter what I believe about Jesus. But right now, I'm doing just fine. Right now, life's rocking right along. Can I tell you something? A storm's coming. A storm's coming. And you cannot prepare for the storm when you're in the midst of the storm. Preparations for the storm must come ahead of time. And a heart that has been nurtured in the Lord as a youth will not wilt in the world as an adult. That today you are establishing the foundation upon which you will stand and you are held responsible. So today, today, resolve that you're going to be the kind of man or woman that your friends who right now are just coasting through life are going to come to when they go through the storm. Be the kind of person that is well established from his youth in the Lord. But then look at what David says. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. I still proclaim. I love that. You know what the responsibility, what responsibility you have in the faith after you've been established as a youth? To keep going. It's that simple. To keep going. It's that simple. And it's that hard. It's hard to keep going, isn't it? When you're a young, optimistic young man or young woman, you think, why in the world does this seem so hard to everybody? You know? You go to work, you come home, you get paid, you buy the food, you do the thing, you keep going, right? Like, why is this so hard? And you're such a fool. You know, you're so dumb. Because the hardest thing to do in life is to keep on going. The hardest thing to do in life is to keep pressing into the Lord. The hardest thing to do in life is to not lose hope. The hardest thing to do in life is to not become bitter. The hardest thing to do in life is to not become a man or a woman filled with resentment. Because this world will beat you down. And so here is David saying, in, light of, in spite of what's happened with my, with my son, I still believe in the Lord. But despite what's happened with my kingdom, I still trust in the Lord. Despite what is happening with my health, I still trust in the Lord. Despite the fact that my, my strength is diminishing, I will still trust in the Lord. Keep on, man. Keep on. Keep on, young mama. Keep on, young daddy. Keep on, middle-aged man. Keep on. Keep pressing on. Do not back down. Do not stop. Keep coming home. Returning to the refuge. But then look what he says. Verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. That in David's mind, there is a direct correspondence between the age that you are and the amount of responsibility that you are to bear. In the beginning, it's about establishing yourself as a youth in the Lord. Not just learning about God, but getting to know God himself. Then, as you grow, it's about just pressing on, keeping on, keeping one foot in front of the other, trusting in the Lord, beating down that path home to the refuge. When you get to old age... When you get to old age, that's not when your job stops. That's when your mission really begins. That, that, that now you don't have less responsibility. You bear a greater responsibility. Listen to his prayer. God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. God, do not let me leave this earth until my children know who you are. 
God, do not let me leave this earth until my church has firmly handed the baton of the gospel faithfully to the next generation. God, do not let me leave this earth until my community has seen the salt and the light that is Jesus Christ. God, do not forsake me until they know the truth. I have a mission. Maybe you can't walk like you used to could. Maybe you can't play one-on-one basketball the way that you wish you could. But what you can do, but nobody else can as a matriarch or as a patriarch of your family, is you can testify to the faithfulness of God. You can tell them the story, not just in principle, not just about people that lived 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. You can tell them your story and how God has sustained you through the years, how he has been your refuge over the course of time. And you have the responsibility to do it. Listen, listen, grandmom, granddad, step up to the plate. Step up to the plate. You have an urgent mission to pass on the faith to the next generation. And Dale, I think we can take the very prayer that David prays here and pray it as elders. That that is our responsibility. The word elder is not by accident. Elder is is to imply wisdom. It is to imply experience. It is to imply the testimony of the goodness of God. And so you are able here as an elder of the church to pray, Oh God, do not remove me as an elder. Do not take me away from the church family until the church is firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That brings me to my last point this morning. The age requires daily faith. The age requires daily faith. That as you age... It's going to require faith from you. It's going to be hard sometimes. It's going to be disappointing. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of tears. It's going to be a lot of worry. It's going to be a lot of fear. Your family's not going to turn out just the way that you planned on it turning out. Your kids' marriages aren't going to look exactly like the way that you thought they would look. Your grandkids may not be exactly as, they, as you expect them to be, or there may not be grandkids at all. It's going to require faith to look to the Lord and to say, I, I, can't, I can't control my family. I can't control my life. I can't control the lives of my children. What I can do is trust the Lord. What I can do is trust the Lord. When I look at the world thrown into chaos, I can trust the Lord. When I see the government spiraling out of control, I can trust the Lord. When I can see the economic impacts of decisions that are being made, what can I do? I can trust the Lord. When I worry about where my children are going, what can I do? I can trust the Lord. I love the way that David says this. Look at what he says in beginning in uh, verse 19. He says, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? Who else would we trust, O God? You have made me see many troubles and calamities, but you will. I want you to think about that. You will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. There's a resurrection word right there. You will bring me up out of the grave. Verse 21, you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. This is what he said. Your greatness has been proven to me. Your faithfulness has been proven to me. I know who you are, and I know what you'll do. 
you will be proven faithful. You will be proven good. This around me, not good. This that I'm watching, not good. This that my family is battling through, not good. But you will be proven good. You will be proven righteous. You will be proven true. I have established that. Now look, verse 21, I mean verse 22. So I will also praise you with the harp of your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. Do you hear what he's saying? You will, so I will. Do you see it? You will be proven faithful. You will be proven true. You will be proven good. So right here, in the midst of my weakness... I'll sing. Right here in the midst of my heartbreak, I will sing. Right here, as it seems as though the whole world is spinning out of control around me, I will sing. Right now, as my enemies try to plot against me and say that God has forsaken me, I will sing. Right now, as my children rebel, I will sing. Right now, as my health is failing, I will sing. I will sing. Because singing is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. I was moved by a video that I watched last week. It was a, a group of Ukrainian Christians. And they're gathered in one of their homes. And just outside the walls, there are bombs that are crashing. And their whole way of life is under threat. And they have no idea the religious freedoms that lie ahead or don't lie ahead. And you know what they were doing? They were singing. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Do you know what Christians do when bombs are crashing all around them in their lives? We sing. We sing. There's no people on earth like that. Everything in our lives begins to go in a direction that we did not anticipate, that we did not desire. And what do we do? We sing. We sing. Dale, brother, we have to lead them to sing. We are front and center in our suffering. We don't put on airs of strength or airs of superiority. We melt in front of the congregation. We cut ourselves and bleed in front of them. And we sing right in the midst. So that as we look over the course of our lives through the bifocals that God provides, when we look at the circumstances up front, we're at the same time able to see the faithfulness of God over the long haul. And we can sing, church. We can sing. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.